I remember the first time that I experienced the dangers of triangulation. Or rather, it is the first time that I remember experiencing it with the accompanying awareness that what I had experienced had something to do with having three people involved with the triangle that had formed. It was in seventh or eighth grade, junior high, now known as middle school, known by me at that time more descriptively as hell. (laughs) It was that time of life when many hard lessons are learned, and most of those lessons occurred outside of the curriculum. In this case, I witnessed a fellow student being verbally demeaned and abused by another student. Not an uncommon occurrence in hell, I mean junior high. It happened every day, multiple times a day, and it was not common for me to be a defender of the verbally abused. Quite often I was a target, and sometimes I am not proud to say a perpetrator. But in this case, in this class, at that time, I was just tired of hearing it, felt like what was being said was especially hurtful, felt that the victim was especially vulnerable, and knowing both of the people involved since grade school, I felt like I might have some influence in defusing the situation. Just knock it off, I said. And if the language I use here sounds a little like a Leave it to Beaver episode, it's only because the actual language that was commonly used in our school at the time is not appropriate for a pulpit, as we all tried to prove ourselves to be adults. Foul-mouthed adults, but adults, I guess. Just stop, I said. Leave them alone. Upon which, the person who had been verbally abused turned to me and let forth a creatively vile insult about me, which brought appreciative laughter from the person who had been verbally abusing him just moments ago. I was shocked, dismayed, angry that I was just trying to do something good and people just... And I vowed in that moment that I would never, ever try to help anyone else ever again. I think I've gotten over that. But it was disheartening, and it took a while before I could get enough distance to think about what had happened, and it had something to do with the triangle that I had helped to form. Here is this person being verbally abused. It's a one-way street, perpetrator to victim, and the recipient of these demeaning words does not feel empowered to give it back for whatever reason, which moves into the whole intricate workings of junior high hierarchy, which I will spare you, and you are welcome. But this person person does not feel empowered to respond to the assault or stop it or escape it, because this is all happening in class, after all. But then this unwitting third party comes along who naively tries to change the relationship between these two people with no tools or skills to do so. However, simply by entering the situation, this person 
me, provides an alternate target outside the person originally being verbally attacked and even a means of gaining some measure of respect or what passed for respect in my junior high from the original attacker if the person who has been originally attacked attacks this new person, thus taking the heat off of him and escaping the uncomfortable position he had been in just moments ago before this person arrived. Once I could stop feeling hurt, embarrassed, and angry, I had to grudgingly respect the person who I came to defend for some quick thinking. I obviously wasn't going to be able to change things for him with whatever feeble plan I had, but he quickly found a way out of the situation. So how did all that happen? How did I stumble into this deadly triangle? I came in with the hopes of changing the relationship I did that momentarily, but not in the way I had expected or wanted. The harm that was happening was simply redirected in the moment. And then that situation morphed into the next and all continued pretty much as it had been. I expected, to be honest, some sort of reward or recognition for doing the right thing from the person who I imagined I was defending. This didn't all come to me at the time, but it has been instructive through the years to look back on that incident and similar incidents and think about what I learned. Where two or three are gathered in my name. How many of you were at all familiar with that Bible verse before today? Okay, quite a few, yes. Maybe you have heard it and may not have known it was from the Bible. I would use it sometimes when during our experiment with two services, we would have an especially low attendance at the first service. I would think where two or three are gathered. (laughs) Using my own interpretation, it's a service. As you heard in the reading, it is spoken by Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And the full verse is, For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. It came to my mind this week in preparation for this service as I was thinking of all the places where the number three appears in song titles, book titles, TV shows, quotations. And I couldn't remember the context of this verse it began to seem rather maddeningly imprecise. Where two or three are gathered? Does that mean two, but preferably three? Two or more? And if I am all alone, does that mean Jesus doesn't show? And that is not meant to be irreverent, only to say that I didn't really get it. Only to say that it suddenly struck me excuse me, that this verse really wasn't talking about a worship setting and it wasn't about prayer as I had assumed because of the way I had been taught the verse when I was growing up. So I looked it up to find what it was talking about. And the passage begins with, if another member of the church sins against you, 
Now, I know there is never conflict between members here, so let's just treat this as an academic exercise, okay? If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. Now, that is very much in keeping with what we encourage here. If there is a problem, the first step is to address it with that person directly. It goes on to say, if the member listens to you, you have regained that one. Yay! And look, I don't presume to improve on the Gospel of Matthew, but aside from the possibility of having the other person listen to you, there is also the opportunity to listen to the other person. It may be that you will learn something that will overturn your assumption about what was done and why it was done. Reconciliation and restoration come in many different forms and from many different and sometimes unexpected directions. In any case, working it out between the two people involved is the ideal, right? But if you are not listened to, Jesus continues in the Gospel according to Matthew, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is where things get tricky. The introduction of an additional person or people into the situation who are maybe only given information by the person requesting their presence and who thus have a natural inclination to support that person's story or who may be thinking they can fix things or who may have other expectations or preconceptions that fall outside the situation itself and only serve to confuse things. Unless they are careful, they are ripe for suffering the dangers of triangulation. They may be thinking or be expected to fix things. And as the esteemed rabbi, family therapist, and leadership consultant Edwin Friedman said in our readings, if one is the third party in an emotional triangle, it is generally not possible to bring change to the relationship of the other two parts by trying to change their relationship directly. In other words, just don't go there. And yet, we are a community. We are, by the very nature of community, in relationship with one another. And we want to help one another address and overcome conflicts. Be honest and authentic. Respect and trust each other. Accept our differences and shortcomings. Practice patience, compassion, and empathy. Listen deeply and speak truthfully. Now, we can't do these things for each other, right? You can't listen deeply on my behalf. You can and shouldn't try to assume responsibility for my relationship to another person. But that doesn't mean that we should pull back from being helpful at all. Like my junior high self deciding, that's it. I will never, ever try to help anyone ever again. I can't fix things for anyone else, but I maybe can be helpful. As long as I am clear about what I have some control over, and what I decidedly do not. (coughs) It means that I need to be grounded. 
and I'm happy to say that I've become a little more grounded since my junior high days. In terms of our congregation, I need to be grounded in community. And when there is conflict between members, maintain a well-defined relationship with each, in Friedman's words, and avoid the responsibility for their relationship with one another. To the extent we can maintain a non-anxious presence in a triangle, such a stance has the potential to modify the anxiety in the others. The problem is to be both non-anxious and present. Maybe this is a bit of what the Gospel of Matthew is talking about when it refers to these one or two other people brought into a situation of conflict as witnesses. They are present to the people involved and maintain an appropriate distance from the anxiety that whatever the situation has produced. They do not take responsibility for coming in and fixing the situation or the relationship between the two individuals, but they are present to them as members of a beloved community. That's why... I'm talking about this because we are here with and for each other because it would be easy to say avoid triangulation. But the fact is that in a community, triangles will form. As I was writing this sermon, I wanted to change the title from Three's Company to Three's Community. Because yes, in a community, triangles will form along with all sorts of other interesting geometric shapes And the trick is to notice them as they are happening, to stay grounded in our covenant, to become aware of our expectations and assumptions, to check our tendency to want to fix things for someone else, and to be as best we can present and non-anxious to one another. Now, of course, we are all going to face things that make us anxious sometimes, Hopefully, just not all at the same time. But if I have a conflict with someone here that I don't feel can be resolved one-to-one, and I reach out to another person to be that third point on the triangle, I should be clear about what I am seeking. Am I asking them to join me in my anxiety? Am I asking them to take my side? Or am I asking them to be present to the situation, to stand as witness to a sincere attempt at reconciliation and restoration. So with apologies again to poor Matthew, the gospel writer, let me offer this slight adaptation to say where two or three are gathered to live out our covenant with one another, the spirit of life and love is there among them. There is danger in triangulation, but triangles can also be life-giving. If, as that third point, we try to maintain a well-defined relationship with each and avoid the responsibility for the relationship of the other two individuals with one another. Living out our covenant is work. It's hard work. 
I mean, we expect to practice other things in our lives, to develop skills. It's the same with covenant. We learn, we gather knowledge, we develop skills, and we practice. And speaking of practice, and since I have borrowed so much from Matthew for this sermon, I will close with the end of this particular passage which I did not include in the reading. This one may be familiar to you too. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 70 times seven. So may it be.